Well, hey, and welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair. I am not Katie Reed Hodges. I'm covering for her today. She couldn't be with us. But we have a great episode for you. Uh, Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation about Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and how you respond to this underlying question within our culture of don't all religions ultimately lead to the same place? So stay tuned. We've got a great conversation ahead for you. And we hope it affirms you as you continue to grow in your faith. Well, welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and I am covering for Katie Reed Hodges today. Uh, so I'm excited to be here with you, Dr. Wiles. We have a very... Well, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We have a very well-known parable from Luke 15 to talk about today. Um, it's probably something you preached on before, I would imagine. Um, many times. Many times. <clears throat> so over the years, as you've preached on this text and as you've explored it, what are just the things that stand out to you about the parable of the prodigal son? <laughs> well, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Um, you know, I, I think that when I was younger, um, the prodigal son story was a powerful story for me. Um, just thinking about the prodigal himself, this this um, person who's in a faraway country and uh, lost, and there's confusion, there are all kinds of things that go with that. And even though I'm not sure that that was my, it, that's I guess that's everybody's experience if you think about it. Theologically, we're all we've all wandered to a far country, but. Point being, I, it wasn't like that was my own personal testimony, <clears throat> per se, in terms of my sense of wandering away from the family of God. However, when I was in high school, before I really, I think, really became a Christian, I worried about a lot of things about my life spiritually. <clears throat> really struggled with salvation and 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 the whole idea of what it meant for me personally to be redeemed. And so there was a lot of fear associated with that for whatever reason. And um, and so when I truly gave my life to Jesus, I felt that rescue, that um, just that connection with God in a very real way. So that's kind of how I identified with this story. It's interesting, <clears throat> as I've gotten older, um, I've I've grown to have more affinity for the father mm. <laughs> and uh, maybe because of being a dad and now a granddad um, of just some of that affection and care and concern about people that you love and, uh, and um, when you think perhaps there are um, ways that, you know, people that you love, not just your own children, but, but watching other parents and their children, when you see them wander off and uh, the grief that comes with it and and uh, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with parents where you're waiting for your child to come to their senses, so to speak. Mm. And so my my sense is um, I think I've changed in how I view the the story personally, and then also my um, my heart for lost people that I'm not sure that they're aware they're lost, and that I think if you had met the prodigal son in the height of his expenditures, the last thing he would have viewed himself is as lost, you know? So right. I guess my affinities have changed a little bit over time as I've matured or, or maybe just as I've gotten older, or maybe I think matured, but uh, my, uh, the story has multiple places of connection. <clears throat> also think, you know, the, 
I've kind of, uh, I don't want to say softened my view. That's not the right word. Because I think when the parable is told by Jesus, as I said Sunday morning, you got these Pharisees and teachers of the law who are angry with Jesus and very judgmental toward the people that he's ministering to. And so Jesus turns around and tells the story. And obviously, they're the elder brother in the story. But uh, even with that, for me, as I've gotten older, I've kind of identified some with an elder brother in the sense that I can see how people have a hard time maybe occasionally truly believing in restoration in another person. Mm, you know what I mean? In other I words, do. it's hard to celebrate sometimes because maybe you just don't trust it. I'm not sure. So it's funny how I I feel like I've landed in a couple of different places the older I've gotten with the story. So it's yeah. part of the beauty of the story, though, if you think about it. <laughs> it is. And I think the wisdom of the Christian spiritual tradition would af- affirm that way of reading this. I mean, so there's a great book. It's a devotional book, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen, who's a Catholic writer. It's a beautiful book. It's not a Bible study book, so it's not going in-depth into hermeneutics. But one of the things he says throughout this book is basically a very similar thing of him describing, I am the younger brother, (laughs) I am the older brother, and I am called to live like the father. And so... As we reflect on this parable, we're called to live into, and well, I don't know that we're called to live into the older brother's role. Mm-hmm. Now and would say he was faithful; he stayed; he did mm-hmm. what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a time for that That's in our right. life. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of helps you understand. It, it, I mean, to me, I think that's the beauty of these stories from Jesus that. They're just so good, you know, and and have such far-reaching implications, and they stay with you your whole life. You know, it's like um, when when you, you know, every year I lead this tour of Rome, and and uh, there's one room in uh, in the Vatican Museum where you're going down this hallway, and uh, there are these these massive tapestries, you know, that are that are hanging on the walls on either side of the hall. I mean, massive, and um, and there are all kinds of things, maps of the world, and I don't know, whatever. But anyway, one of them is the resurrection of Jesus, and it's so fascinating because if, if as you're approaching it from one angle, you look at Jesus, and he is he's looking at you, and and it looks like he's he's inside this tomb, if you want to call it that, and then as you keep walking, it's like his eyes follow you. And you get to the other side, and he's out of the tomb, you know, pronounced so, and he's still looking at you, and you're like, okay, how how does he stay with me this whole time? This is weird because this is this is a say painter, you know, right. a tapestry. <laughs> this thing is not three D, you know. But I mean, it really fa- fascinates me. Well, it's like the prodigal son, or even the stories of Jesus. They just stay with you, and as you just walk, your perspective changes, and yet it still just stays with you. And so, this is one of those stories. It is. I mean, and you alluded to this. I mean. Your wife, Cindy, tells this yeah. story to a tribesman of Africa, and he goes, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But also, I mean, so it's resonating here. It's resonating in 15th century Italian art done by wealthy aristocrat- right. aristocrats. <laughs> right. And it's done again by Dutch painters living in an austere Protestant society. I mean, this story mm-hmm. just resonates mm-hmm. across cultural lines from continent to continent. Mm-hmm. It's something just a very human mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that we all relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think I think also it helps us even appreciate the incarnation even more because Jesus really did understand us. I mean, he he I mean, he knew this story, how gripping this story could be, I believe. And uh, I think that's part of the beauty of the incarnation, that he he tells stories out of our lives 
that we're still telling, you know, in one way or another. You know, I wonder sometimes how many movies and books and <laughs> that may not necessarily um, give credit, but have actually been inspired by these stories of Jesus, you know, because he, right. he's, he's, he's so human in some moments. And this is one example. And yet he's so divine in this moment because he knew these Pharisees needed to hear this. <laughs> they needed to hear this story. And yet the humanity of it is still powerful, you know? So powerful. <clears throat> so some scholars refer to Luke 15, which includes three parables. It's mm-hmm. the last coin, prodigal son, lost sheep. Mm-hmm. I may have gotten those out of order. Yeah. But it's those three make up Luke 15. Mm-hmm. And so some scholars actually point to this as this is the crown jewel, this is the centerpiece <laughs> of the entire Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to work mm-hmm. with in Luke chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it points to is the need to reclaim the lost. That's mm-hmm. what we preached about on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if you could talk more about this term lostness, <laughs> lost people, right. where we use that term and mm-hmm. where we should not use that term. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think there's some wisdom to be applied here. Mm-hmm. And it, and, I, and I'm I'm glad we're talking about this because I didn't – I really didn't say it Sunday morning. I guess sometimes I guess it's assumed. But I did say the word lost is not a pejorative term. What I should have also said is it's insider language, though. This is this is a term for Christians to use. This is not a term to uh, to use in a conversation with someone who's not a believer, you know, to say— I can't believe how lost you are. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're just so lost. <laughs> no, this is insider language for us. Because we, you know, Jesus does categorize people, but it's for us to use. And the theology of lostness is what should drive us to be compassionate and gracious and and compel us to go searching. The reason I like the word, which is what I tried to share Sunday morning, is because if something is lost, well, then that creates an intense desire in you to find it, you know. And so I kind of made the jokes about remote controls and keys and telephones and I think about you know just in the uh, last while I mean technology has changed so much but you know there have just been times when we have lost all of those you know we and somebody even gave Cindy one time um, back before I, I don't even know when this happened but they gave her this little fob thing that was connected to her phone and we joked about it so many times because she would lose her phone but we would also lose the keys and it was like we need we need a thing that we need some kind of finder for everything. That's a whole industry. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, because it I have an air no tag good. on my cat. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, so it's just like, uh, but the but the heart of that to me is when I know it's lost and it's valuable to me. Well, I am going to go find it. I'm right. I'm looking for it because it matters to me. Um, recently, Cindy was in the hospital, and uh, and so we were one night. Um, I remember her saying to me, she has a certain necklace that she brought back from West Africa, and uh, and it's it's in the shape of a cross, but it but it's actually made by the Tuareg people, and it doesn't represent the cross to them, but it does to us. Mm. And uh, and so she's given away so many of them. Well, this is the only one she has left, and it's her favorite. So I remember her telling me, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this cross off um, while we're in the hospital," and I said, "Okay." But neither one of us could remember what she said next. Now, I know she didn't give it to me. Okay, I know that much. So this has been, I don't know what, two or three months ago now. 
I cannot tell you how many times at the house she will go, okay, what did I do with that cross? And I'll say, honey, I don't know. I remember you telling me you were going to take it off. I gave it to you. You didn't give it to me. I promise you didn't give it to me. Well, what would I have done with it? I'm in the hospital. I don't know, but I know you didn't give it to me. We have looked, Luke, for that cross. I am telling you, we have gone through everything that we brought home from the hospital. We've gone through all the clothes. We did, we, we've dug clothes out of the clothes hamper when we first got home. Um, all of our paperwork, briefcases. I mean, we have looked for right. that cross. Okay. So last, um, let's say last Sunday, no, Saturday, we're packing to go to the Texas Baptist Convention. And, uh, and I had, uh, Cindy has this, this uh, carry on thing that she just, her whole life's in it. Well, she decided to clean that carry on out. And I was in my study, and I heard her holler. She said, oh, my gosh, I have found it. I knew immediately. <laughs> I didn't have to go, what would you find? What were you looking for? You knew. Oh, yeah. I jumped up, and I ran in there, and I said, she said, I found it. It was in the lining of my of my carry-on, and it had gotten stuck. And, and she just held it up, and, I, and we were, like, high-fiving each other. We were like, oh, my gosh, we were so excited. So, and it's that rejoicing yes, over what's found. Yes. And so if we're that excited about a, a piece of jewelry, and if we have spent time looking for it, which we have, then come on, man. I mean, what yeah. about people that, that I know are lost? It's not that I'm going to call them lost when I, <laughs> when I encounter them, but my heart and my theology directs me and compels me right. to take this good news to them. And, and it's at the heart of our—I I think you're right. I think Luke 15 is at the heart of Luke's gospel— and way to go, Luke, by the way. Um, and thank you for these stories. You know, you're welcome. You, I'm, I'm really proud Just of you. I was going to say your name. Say, okay, I was going to say you're beautiful. <laughs> of all of whom you could be named after. How about this guy? Um, it is my favorite gospel. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's because of my name, but. <laughs> I love it. But thank you for these stories, man. I mean, think about it. But. Not, it's not just the heart of the gospel. To me, it's the heart of our missiology. I mean, you're a missiologist. So you think about what drives a missiologist. Why? why why? I mean, tell me more, Luke. Why? Why have you spent time studying, exploring other cultures or people, or trying to understand them as a missiologist? I mean, is it not that the, this we message, want them to be found? Right. That I mean, that's what compels us. So, but I do think we have to caution our people. Um, our people, our church family. Um, There's a wisdom in how you relate to outsiders. Yes, yes. We don't use pejorative language. And if you think the word loss is pejorative, I don't, but I can see how you might. But but it's because I'm I'm thinking of it as being in our vocabulary, our parlance. We're not that's calling them we pagans. About. We're not calling that's them right. heathens. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there have been worse terms. That's right. So, this is at least a biblical one. Yeah. And I think it communicates to us that it reminds us of the value, you know, and I guess what I would say is, is that it, it, the greatest example of it to me is God. We're so lost, He sent His own Son to come find us. That right. I mean that, that is a, I mean that grips me. So, so yeah, I'm, I like the word for us, and but I like it as a hopeful word. That's what I try to communicate Sunday. There's hope in it. You know? No, I think that came across. Yeah. And, and rejoicing think, when you find it, right. when you find someone. I think that's something we can always work on. I think the American church celebration is a discipline we forget sometimes yeah. <laughs> that it is so significant. Mm -hmm. So if I could point people in our church to an example within our church mm -hmm. is our college ministry. When yes. someone from the college ministry gets baptized, you know who's excited <laughs> yes. and you know who's going to be cheering. Right. Sunday morning, great example. You know, right. I mean, even our 
our worship band, and they're playing music, you know, when somebody gets baptized, and then uh, everybody just erupts. In I mean, let's kill the fattened calf. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because it's, it's awesome news. And now I think, too, but it's driven by a theology of lostness, though, that that to be lost and to stay lost is really sad. I, I told that story about the, the Iranian man, you know, who, mm-hmm. who lived in the airport all this time and and never really found his way home. And um, I was a little, uh, not surprised, not, I don't guess that's the right word, but a number of people came up to me after church who had just Googled the story, you know, while I was talking because they just were interested and wanted to know more about it. And they were coming up telling me more details, <laughs> which I'm good with that. I mean, that, at least it's a story they were Canadian. If they weren't listening to me, <laughs> you know, at least they were looking it's at me. It's an image something. that sticks in their minds. Yeah. And so they were saying, I mean, he did this. Did you know that this also happened? So that was pretty cool to have some of these younger people come up to me that had Googled this man's story, you know, during church. And uh, But the sad story, though, of the guy that he just, he never... I mean, his life goal was to be found and live in England, and and that was home. I mean, that's what he believed was his home, even though he was Iranian. But because his mom was British, somehow that's where he felt like he was supposed to live. And so from what – so this is 2022. So I think it was 1986 or 88. I can't remember. My goodness. All this time, (laughs) you know. That Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. Of all places. Can you imagine? So I think about how sad it is. For those who are lost and just stay lost because nobody came looking for them, maybe. That's that's the story to me that compels me. You know, when you play hide-and-seek, I mean, like Ada, our eight-year-old daughter, granddaughter, that's, that is her favorite game. And she's just still – she's just small enough still to where she can hide in our home in some very unique places, you know. And she loves it, you know. What's funny about her is she loves to hide and she loves to be found. It's really interesting. She does not like – it, I, I don't know a kid who likes to seek. Yes, yes. So she wants to go hide, but she she doesn't want it to go on long. In other words, she wants you to find her. <laughs> you know, so, so she's at that age where it's kind of interesting that she's as excited when you find her <laughs> as you are that you found her. You know, so um, I think at some point the, the dynamic will change. But I love that that um, she loves it when we find her. You know, she'll just laugh. You know, when you when you and if you don't get her. For a little while, she'll start making noises or, you know, rattle a door or something. Find me. <laughs> That's right. I'm still here. <laughs> so um, so there's a, there's even joy that she's experiencing in it. So I, I just like that. I like that imagery of being lost and being found. I just do. And the prodigal son, what a great excuse to talk about it, you know. That's perfect. So, so one, of the, one of the other stories that you shared that I wanted to talk more about because I think it's a common mm-hmm comment that we get in our culture. It's a very mm-hmm. Western assumption. And this came from the young man you encountered on our basketball court. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he essentially just said, you know, Christians, great. Buddhists, great. We all mm-hmm. are going to wind up or wor- worshiping the same God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's just so many assumptions loaded into that. But right. I think mm-hmm. that's something that probably many people in our church have heard mm-hmm. in one form or another mm-hmm. from someone they know. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. how do you respond well? Mm-hmm. How do you respond with wisdom in that moment? Mm-hmm. Well, what I said to him was, "You are so lost." Um, and no, um, <laughs> but, uh, it was just him. Do what we say, not what we do. <laughs> That's right. So uh, <laughs> you didn't was, actually say that. Let's be no, clear. No, I didn't. But it was funny because you know he was just 
playing ball there by himself, and I just walked up, and we got talking. And uh, for those of you who don't know anything about our church, we have a basketball outdoor court that's right adjacent to UTA. So we have a lot of UTA students that are there on that outdoor court, and it lights up at night. So It's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, and so I just um, – one of the reasons – I didn't tell this story. It, 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 I, I guess I forgot about it uh, Sunday morning. But I was walking by to put something in my car, and there were there were two Mormon uh, missionaries um, who were talking to him, and they were in their you know white shirt tie, and and they were shooting baskets with him, and so I, I noticed it you know as I walked by, and so I went and put my stuff in my car. So then when I came back, well they were gone, and he was there by himself. So I forgot to set that up Sunday morning because that that's actually what happened. Context is good. <laughs> yeah. So. I just walked up to him and said, "Hey, how are you doing?" He's fine, and we kind of got to talking. And, and I said, um, um, "I said, well, I'm, I don't know if you know this or not, but this court, you know, is 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 a part of our church." And he said, "Oh no, I, I thought it was a UTA." And he said, "Am I okay?" And I said, oh. "He said I'm a student at UTA." I said, "Oh yeah, fine. That, that's why it's here. It's for, it's for the community, and certainly for you guys." So anyway, and I just so then I just said something like, "I noticed, uh, you know, you know, we're talking to those two guys." He said, "Oh yeah," and and he said, "Well, do you go to the church here?" I said, "Well, actually, I'm the pastor of the church." He said, "Oh yeah, yeah," and that's when he said, "Well, you know, I, I know a little bit about Christianity." I said, oh, "Okay." Always a bold move. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I said, "Well, good." He said, um, "But also, I've done some little bit of study of Islam and a little bit of study of Buddhism." And and he said, "And then at UTA, there are a lot of Hindu students that I talked to." I said, "Okay," and he said, "You know, after I've kind of researched and thought about it." It's really all the same. They're, they're all the same. Pretty much teach the same thing, and you all arrive at the same place. And he said, so, you know, I, I guess I feel like – he said, I'm not an atheist, so I do believe there's a God. He said, but I I feel like it really doesn't matter how you get to him. You know, you got, you got a lot of options. And, and this is a comment. I mean, this is not just mm-hmm. a UTA student who says this. Like, yeah. this is one of the dominant assumptions, I think, of Western mm-hmm. semi-religious thought. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So what I said to him was, I said, well, that's fascinating. I said, well, let me ask you this. Um, and, and, and he stopped playing basketball. I mean, he, he was, you know, it wasn't like I was forcing the conversation. It was very um, gentle and um, organic. You know, we we're just standing there talking. And, and he said something like, um, yeah, I think that's true. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, how much, how much research? Have you? I said, you're a college student. Right? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm, and, and, and he was, um, it seemed like he was studying chemistry, if I remember correctly. And I said, well, I'm assuming <clears throat> that right now you're, you're learning a lot, you know, at the university. He said, oh, yes, sir. Um, you know, I said, so you're, you're learning all the basics, you know, about your field. Yes, sir. And, and um, I think he's a sophomore. He said, oh, yeah. He said, and, and, and he said, I, lo- I love it. I said, well, that's great. I said, so how much research have you really done into Let's just pick one of them. Christianity happens to be the one that I'm most familiar with. He said, you know, I've done a bit of reading, you know, and and I said, okay. And I said, so, well, here's the thing that I would just put before you. You know, I know you're you're playing ball here and you're probably going to head back to your dorm or whatever. And so if you would like to have another conversation, I don't want you to know I am the pastor and I'm here all the time and I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, I said, but – Here's what's fascinating. Each one of these that you've just discussed, they all make some really unique claims. Yes, they do. And I said, so they can't I said, just 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 talking to you as a young man right now who's doing a lot of research and you're and you're exploring truth, because I'm assuming in, in, in your field there's truth. Oh yes, sir. I said, Well, 
they can't all be true. They make exclusive – each one of them has like an exclusive view of things. And I said, so it sounds really good to make that statement. And I understand why people make that statement. I said, but the problem is just philosophically, intellectually, this statement can't possibly be true. So I would just encourage you to continue to do a little more research and try to determine what are the distinctive, unique claims if, if you're in that part of your life where you're wanting to really research and certainly, if you're interested in the claims that Christianity makes, I'm happy to visit with you about those. And he said, "Okay, cool." He said, "I'm gonna do a little more. I'm gonna do a little more work on that." I said, "Okay." So that's kind of where we left it. Yeah. So, but you know, I think so. I go by there all along. I've seen him a couple more times out there, you know, because he's he's back playing some. So he's on my uh, he's on my list of folks that I think about. And at some point, I'm gonna. I'd like to catch him during the day. I've never seen him out during the day. It's always been at night. Because I thought we could just kind of walk over to the uh, Starbucks, you know, when Starbucks is having coffee. Yeah, yeah. Have a cup of coffee and talk. So I'll see if I catch him again. But um, but you're right, Luke. So how about you? You know, you think about all that you've learned and the missiology that's influenced you. How do you respond to that? Yeah. If someone makes that comment, how would you encourage our people? Or what's the what's your way of dealing with that kind of comment? <clears throat> yeah. Well, so, I mean, I've been a religion professor before in a different life, mm -hmm. not a literally different life because that is a claim for some of these people. <laughs> right. In a previous career, mm -hmm. uh, taught world religions, taught theology. And I, I think I would say this is you're never really going to meet a follower of any one of those religions, except maybe Hinduism, who mm -hmm. would make that claim. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we are not just saying different things about what happens when we die, even though we are pretty much all saying different things about what happens when you die. Mm -hmm. But each one of these religions, I mean, we'll just take Islam and Buddhism mm -hmm. because we're outsiders to both of those. Mm -hmm. We can kind of think about them more abstractly. Mm -hmm. They're making just radically different claims about what is even real. Mm -hmm. So for the Buddhist, nothing we experience is real. Right. It's all actually an illusion. I was about to say, yeah. And so in Buddhist, traditional Buddhist thought and philosophy, and it may be more accurate to call it a philosophy than a religion, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wiles and I in Buddhist thought are actually all the same thing, and we're actually all part of the same thing as the rest of the universe. You tell that to a Muslim. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. you are just so wrong. Oh, that's just—I mean, that's just worse than heredity. Worse than heredity. I mean, yeah. that's to use a word you used earlier today. <laughs> that is anathema that is exactly to Islam. Right. I mean, yeah. in Islam, God is not just something I am an, a part of, and the separation is an illusion. God, Allah, in Islam is so completely other that human beings can't even directly experience God. Mm -hmm. There is no direct experience of Allah in Islam. Mm -hmm. He's so transcendent mm -hmm. that you can only know the Quran mm -hmm. and what the Quran says about Allah. Mm -hmm. That's just right. a radically different way of perceiving what's even real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even talked about like the stuff about what happens when you die yeah, in each of those things. Eternity, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. those so conversations that they're take all you in a same, million directions. Yeah, and that they all lead to the same God and have the same conclusions. Some of them aren't even leading to God <laughs> at all. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, you know, one time I was on a flight with a young man. He was a PhD in electrical engineering from UTA, and he was um, Indian. 
And uh, and he saw me reading, and we were on a long. We were, I was flying home from Rome, so this was a long flight. And um, and he finally said, "You know, I'm. I know not everybody likes to talk on an airplane." He said, "So please forgive me if you don't want to talk, because obviously this is a long flight." And <laughs> and uh, and I just said, "No, it's okay." And he said, "Well, I know you're reading this book," and he said, "I, I think it's a religious book." And I said, "Well, actually, it is." And um, and and he said, "Well, do you mind me asking what you're doing?" I said, "Well, actually." This book is what you would call a commentary. I said, I'm, I'm actually a, a pastor of a church in America, and um, I'm, uh, and I didn't know at the time yet who he was. We had, we really hadn't engaged yet at that at that level, and uh, and I said, and I'm, I'm actually when I get home, I'm, it was a Saturday, so I'm flying home, and tomorrow morning I'm going to be delivering a, a speech because I was, I was just thinking, I just assumed he was probably Hindu just by, and again, I didn't mean to stereotype, but I just didn't want to assume anything else. I said, so I'm studying um, the Bible, and this is a person who's a scholar who is commenting on the Bible. So I'm reading that, and he said, oh, okay. And then he told me, he said, well, well, he said, where do you live? I said, I live in Arlington. He said, well, I went to UT Arlington. I said, okay. And then PhD in engineering. Oh, okay. So we talked for a while. And then I told him, I said, well, I'm the pastor at First Baptist. He said, well, I know where that church is. That church is right by UTA. I said, yes. And he said, well, I've never, I've never been to it. And I said, okay. But anyway, so we started talking, and then he began to ask me um, how much did I know about Hinduism? And uh, and I said, well, a little, you know, um, an outsider to that um, to that particular perspective. But I but I've done enough research. I've read and and uh, and and he said um, he said, well, you know, we we have several holy books. And and he said, you know, our religion's ancient. Said, it is. It's very ancient. I said, you're right. It is. And and he said, well, so he asked me some things about Jesus, things that he had heard as a boy growing up. You know, he said, for example. In our state, we always had Good Friday off from school. He said, you know, I didn't really know what that was. That's just what it was called. And, of course, that's a leftover from colonialism. So, I, you know, I didn't want to go into this long explanation of why <laughs> historically what had happened Religion to around country. the world is complicated. <laughs> so anyway, but he just said, you know, we always, as kids, we've got Good Friday off. He said, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I've realized that's really a part of the Christian story. Well, a wide open door. Well, actually, <laughs> Good Friday is a part of the Christian story. Anyway, so we had a on and off a conversation flying home. Well, we get home and we're getting our, you know, we've landed and he says this to me. He says, I want to ask you a question and, and I would like to, for you to tell me if it's offensive because if it's offensive, then I won't do it. And I said, oh, okay. He said, you know, we've just been through Christmas. This was like, you know, January, February, whenever we normally take our trip to Rome. And I said, yes. And he said, um, he said, well, you know, there are um, there are friends of mine that are Christians. And he said, and I don't, we've never really talked about it. And I said, okay. He said, but they all have little statues of Jesus, you know, for Christmas in their homes. Well, now I'm starting to think, okay, well, they're not really statues. I mean, there's we would call them nativity sets, but, you know, I'm, I just said, well, you know, and he said, yeah. And he said, so, um, he said, believe it or not, um, right before I left on my trip, I was just buying some decorations and I bought, I bought, I bought one of those, you know, it's got a statue of Jesus and he's a baby, but it's, but it's a statue of Jesus. So then I finally I said, you I know, know this is going. I, I said, we really don't call it a statue. You know, it, it, it's, it's, we would call it a nativity. It is, it's, it's the, it's the story. And he said, well, would you be okay if I take that statue of Jesus and put it? He said, I have a, a little altar in my home that I have the displays of my gods on it. And I think 
just after talking to you, I'm so enamored with this story. Would it be disrespectful to put, you know, the statue of Jesus in my collection? <laughs> and uh, so um, that was a fact. I never, I mean, that's never, I've never had that conversation. It's actually you know? a very common Hindu conversation. Yeah, I think it is. And so I've spent so much time in the Muslim world, not much in the Hindu world. And I said, well, actually, here's what I would tell you. Um, I wouldn't worry about being offensive to me. And he said, oh, but I've just met, and you're the pastor at First Baptist Arlington. He said, I, I, I received my degree from the school right next to your church. I would never want to be offensive to you. I said, well, I, I would really want you to think more about what's offensive to Jesus. And he said, oh, my goodness, would this offend Jesus if I put his statue in? I said, so then I went on to say, you know, we don't really, we don't really do that. We don't have these physical expressions of our God. And he was blown away by that because he said, well, you have crosses. I mean, he was like, I, I've seen things that Christians have in your homes. I said, <laughs> so it kind of led to this interesting conversation on iconography, you know, and I'm, yeah. in well, five and, minutes. You know? Hinduism, the gods <laughs> literally inhabit That's right. those things. Yeah. So, so anyway, so finally I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you what, from your perspective, if you're going to use, if you're going to view it your way, then you'd have to get rid of all the other ones and only have Jesus. And I mean, he was like, he looked at me like I had three heads. It was like, well, how, how could I do that? I can't just get rid of all my gods, you know. So anyway, so I just encouraged him. I told him to read. Uh, I asked him if, if he had a copy of the Bible, which he didn't. And um, and so we talked about him doing that. And so anyway, but I thought it was interesting. You know, once again, this conversation about um, all roads lead to the same place. And he never said that. He just basically said, this is another this seems to be a legitimate another God yeah. that I need to include in my in my panoramic view here. <laughs> right. Know? Well, in Hinduism, it's kind of like Buddhism. It's all ultimately part of the same one thing. So to have these individual expressions mm -hmm. is perfectly yeah. fine because yeah. it's all ultimately yeah. the same reality yeah. underneath. Fascinating. It is. It's almost as if maybe one of the things that might be helpful to us for our church family it's, it goes way beyond the prodigal son story, but but it's part of this that when you think about maybe one of the things that we could do is have um, more conversations with our people and maybe in the classes on what these religions actually teach because we are in such a pluralistic society now, and Arlington is that. I mean, it is. I don't know. I don't think it's a melting pot. I think it's it's a <laughs> more of a salad. I'm right. not sure what but it I is. I mean, on Sunday, I was talking to a group of our senior adults, and one of them has made great friends with their next door neighbor, and it's a Muslim woman and her family. And so, this senior adult woman from our church has been invited to this Muslim group of friends, mm. and they're just next door neighbors living life together mm -hmm. and trying. Mm -hmm. To figure out how do we mm -hmm. how do we talk about Jesus right. yeah. in a circle of faithful Muslim women. Right. Which is awesome. It is awesome. I'm yeah. so proud to hear that our church people are even trying to do that. Absolutely. But having a better understanding because, you know, um, knowing that the the conflict, the just the philosophical conflict between all of these world religions is so apparent once you know about it. And that's why 
when someone makes a statement like, well, they all lead to the same God, they all lead to the same thing. That's never a religious person saying <laughs> That's that. That's right. You, you couldn't be because you're, no self-respecting Muslim would ever make that comment. You know, that, well, they're all the same. Well, no. <laughs> a Buddhist not. might, but they a mean Buddhist, something yeah, very they different. They mean something really different, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, uh, it, I think that's, that's something that maybe we need to give some thought to, to, to just build a knowledge base because we're we're in a culture now where every religion is right here on us, you know, and certainly being adjacent to UTA, you know, and uh, for our college kids, they, this is their world. It is. They live it every day. But know, I so. think, you know, it's reality from grade school all the mm-hmm. way to mm-hmm. just people living in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what the beautiful thing is the prodigal son story is a compelling story to anybody. I agree. <laughs> you know, you can maybe maybe um, this narrative approach, you know, maybe there's something to it, you know, um, because the stories are so compelling. I think there's something about that. I think Jesus was so good at that. And that's a lesson to me to be thoughtful about these stories because they communicate the truths of the kingdom. They do. You know? So, yeah, it's really good. Well, we have gone on for a okay. while. I feel like there are a million more things we could talk about. Well, um, well thank you, Luke, for stepping in and playing this role and uh, being a part of Tell Me More. Um, our, our our friend Katie, I think most all of our listeners know, she's going to have triplets, but uh, not not yet. But um, not yet. <laughs> but uh, we know that's where we're headed, and we're so excited for her. So we are. But I'm glad you can fill in when she can't be here. She couldn't be here today. So I'm thank happy you. to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that you all miss her, and she will be back mm-hmm. as soon as she's able to. Mm-hmm. In due time. In due time. <laughs> In more ways than one. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.